and we're live. And Doc's still trying to mess me up with uh with the five count and her her back uh, was it backseat driving over here on the podcast. But hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. And dysfunction is spelled C-I-S-C-A, Seska. But without further ado, the we're going to let our guest... The best of dysfunction ever. Other sure, than we'll go with that. That's actually even shorter. This is true. This is true. But we're going to let our guest, Miss Rosie Record, uh, introduce yourself. So can you tell our viewers and listeners who you are? Hi, I'm Rosie Record, uh, the author of Tronic. And uh, some anthology short stories and the coolest last name ever. I'm surprised you're not a rock star with that last name. Oh, yeah, I know, right? I should have gone into music with that name, right? <laughs> That's just right. Like, Davidal, if you did it for real, people were like, that was just so cheesy picking that name so you could be a musician. Like, no, honest, it's my real name. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd have to tell him it's my legal name. So there you go. Yeah. So the next part of the introduction, dear listeners, how we first found them. So uh, when we did the Cyberpunk Day, which was you know, a couple episodes ago at this point, the, uh, the person that helped us put that together, Matthew A. Goodwin, he, uh, he arranged a lot of the guests and she was one of them. And so she was so much fun in the pre-show, although she was too polite to interrupt, but we'll work on that. We'll corrupt her. But uh, she was so much fun in the pre-show, I know I had to have her back. She just uh, hasn't done well enough yet, JR. It's this is also possibly true. <laughs> yeah, this, that's probably true. But uh, and I knew I had to get Doc in because she says we need to we need to talk to more ladies. Apparently, she she thinks the sausage fest is not for her. Well, that came out. <laughs> Phrasing was bad, but we'll just move on. Doc, ask her the religion questions. For the record, I know how the sausage is made, so yes, the phrasing was bad. <laughs> and, and I haven't even started drinking yet, so I don't have an excuse. Well, you should start drinking. <laughs> Clearly, I might do better drunk. <laughs> so bad. JR, you are the excuse. But to religion, <laughs> Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? Firefly. Hands down. Love it, love it, love it. And it's short enough you can watch all of it in a day. Hey, Doc. <laughs> this is true, sadly. Uh, when you do the religion question for the fantasy, I, I've, it's been told to us too many times and I forgot to update the form. Apparently, it's unfair to have Lord of the Rings in there. So you get to add that on the fly, fix uh, another property because apparently nobody compete with, can compete oh, with Tolkien. You don't want me to do Lord of the Rings. No, apparently it's not fair to the other authors who, who write fantasy. So you get to make oh, it up as you go. Man. Try not to break your brain. Game of Thrones, The Wheel of Time, or The World of Valdemar by Mercedes Lackey? Didn't even have to skip a beat. Game of Thrones. Oh, go on. Why? Well, I mean, <laughs> I could only get through the first three books, and then I was like, man, you are way too dense for me. I can't do this anymore. But I love, <laughs> I love, I love his writing style. I love his world building. That man can go off on tangents and you just are like along for the ride and you love it. But, and then the shows, the show was pretty good. Um, they lost you at the end. I think most, you know, it was a great way to beta test how to end that series. Yeah. <laughs> so did you, uh, do you like grim dark then? Is that why you like it? 
Because a lot of people that don't, it's because they don't like the everybody I care about dies sort of thing. Oh, I love that. No. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> nobody gets out alive. I personally love that. I was, I was very bummed when Ned Stark died, but I mean, what's that actor's name? He always dies. That man just dies. I on being always died. Ned Stark really had to die though. Yeah. Like there's some of the deaths that felt a little too, a, a little gratuitous. Like I, I felt maybe there would have been a better way to do that story, but Ned Stark really had to die because his death was the impetus to a lot of fallout. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was an important death and he dies so well. Uh, Sean Bean does. And, uh, but <laughs> everything he's in that man dies um but he's the also, joe buckley of movies <laughs> <laughs> but i i love uh you were saying gratuitous deaths and i was like i love those too um <laughs> i'm a fan of <laughs> i'm a fan of characters just just being off because then you know lots of times it can get stagnant when you have your same people and uh, when you kill someone off, it changes dynamics. You bring in new people. It's just, it's, it's a really good uh, vehicle for storytelling. And, and I'm, I'm a little bit of a dark, dark person. So if her therapist wants to listen to this episode. <laughs> Should I send this to Jennifer? <laughs> ah, tell me about your childhood. Oh no. <laughs> we had somebody on Jennifer Blackstream who has a background as a therapist. <laughs> did it go did it go interesting? Did it it went interesting, man. Like Poor JR. He he took the brunt of it. So the, the episode in question was writing badass uh females in in sci-fi and fantasy. Although all of the authors in question I think were fantasy authors. And uh and I had some opinions and she had some opinions and we didn't agree and she got a lot of thrill every time she said, You're wrong, JR, because Seska would start giggling and it sort of spiraled from there. I think that became, I, I could have said that the water was wet and they'd have yelled I was wrong just because they were having too much fun. <laughs> and it continued in the post show. <laughs> That's where that actually came from. She she did that on that episode. No, it continued even at Dragon Con. <laughs> I, I like it. I'm here for it. All right, Doc. <laughs> Okay, so as you know, we love both sci-fi and fantasy, but which one was your first love? Oh, see, you know, I was asked this before. I don't remember my answer. I, I would say when it comes to cinema sci-fi, when it comes to books, fantasy, but then I ended up writing more sci-fi. So I'm all over. I, I ping pong between the two. Um, I don't know if I have a first oh, love. Maybe your first love could be totally different. We interviewed one author, uh, Jenny Koch. Her first love was fantasy. Everything she writes is sci-fi, though. No, what she's saying is she she goes back and forth on what the answer would be. Here's oh, a fun. Oh, you're little... allowed to be Polly on this question, totally. Yeah. <laughs> so so we, when we did, um... my head, I guess the first books I was reading, like most little girls, was fantasy. So when we ask these questions to the guests, I'm always trying to remember what my answer would be. And I can guarantee almost every episode, and this is like 214, I've come up with a different answer that I suddenly remember when we're doing the interview. So you're, you're that's pretty normal, I think. <laughs> nope, not me. I know my answer every time. And it yeah, is. Because you were tortured by your mother, so. <laughs> What's this was tortured? <laughs> well, I mean, she, she she's mean to you, which is why I like her. Um. 
she does like you better than me, but that's okay because she also told me it's like the Eeyore thing. Somebody has to like you. Oh, um, this is true. That's okay. You know, you, my mom likes you better. So uh, my yeah. answer is always sci-fi. Yeah, because the first shows I remember, Shira. Okay, it is a little like magic in sci-fi, but you're talking alternate planets and tech, so there is sci-fi. But um, and Star Trek. So I mean, like for me, I know it was sci-fi, but. I love my comfort food also really is fantasy. So yeah, I'm um, not going to, I love them both. Have so much goodness. And, and I like it when they overlap. I love it when there's tech and magic. Like that's just a really cool, weird mix. It's a so fun space mix. fantasy. Yeah. It's a fun yeah. one. Like that's Star Wars, space fantasy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was the midichlorians, right? No, that's just, pretty um, <laughs> so what's your first memory of engaging in speculative fiction? Uh, do you think you found it by reading it first, playing games, watching shows? Where do you think you discovered it first? Ooh, first, first, first. Trying to think back, young. Hmm. I don't know. Um, it was probably, probably, probably TV. Okay. I'm trying to think. Um. See, here, here's like put me on the spot trying to remember childhood memories, trying to remember the firsts. Um, I don't know. I, I, I remember really loving some books about drag and McCaffrey. That's Pern. yeah, yep, the Pern. Um, I remember those distinctly, and I was fairly young when I started, I was too young because that woman <laughs> gets very descriptive. <laughs> Which is very surprising because if you read the Tower and the Hive stuff, she is not descriptive in that. Oh, but really? Mm. The only one where she really got descriptive about um, adult interactions were in the Pern books. Oh, well, I was lucky then. That's <laughs> <laughs> that, that was my that was my intro to a couple of things in life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, I read an entire series because as the uh, first book was dedicated to Anne McCaffrey, and it was about dragon romance. So I can't dragon say. romance. Yeah, it's just um, that that woman has won so many awards. I was I was just reading her wiki page recently, and it's like she's like the first uh, the Hugo Awards and everything, and it's like wow, it's just good on you. That's right. That's good. Um, yep. I, that's the first thing that comes to mind. But I, I I know for a fact that I was watching all kinds of you know fantasy and sci-fi type movies when I was young and those those influenced me and 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 like sucked me into that that magical world I'm pretty sure my parents were Star Trek uh they were playing Star Trek all the time and yeah. okay so what is it about speculative fiction the umbrella genre that covers all the cool things that you love so much that's too big of a question man <laughs> it's like what do you love about every like, imagination like, what do you love about food right like everything i just like just the fact that it opens up this this world to you um it's it's a window into people's imaginations and some people are actually really interesting when you're surrounded by people that aren't and all of a sudden you read a book and you're like oh wow like this person has this incredible fantasy sci-fi world and all these cool people you get to meet different people different characters with different thoughts and you're just exposed to so much and i mean you can say that about anything fiction yeah just 
it just opens up so many different possibilities and ideas and yeah. Okay. So the, the, the joy of open-ended questions is we see, you know, we give the person room to, to do their thing without um, sort of leading them along the primrose path to get the, the right answer. Um, and it, it makes it a lot more, it makes every, makes every interview unique because you never know what you're going to get. Like a box of chocolates. Um, I, I mess up stuff like that all the time just to see Doc's face. It's hilarious. So how did your love of speculative fiction, sort of the umbrella genre, transition into you deciding, you know what, I'm going to put pen to paper and write stories in this space? Well, okay. Mm, I, I've always loved to write since, like, I remember – as far back as second grade, you know, when we would get assignments, writing assignments, I was that nerd who, you know, like doubled up in the lines and then flipped the page over and was right in the back. And, you know, the teacher's like, oh, this is great. Like, <laughs> lots of thoughts here, kid. Um, and, and I just always really, I just always really love to write. I don't know, honestly, you know, if it was inspired by anything, it, like, external sources as much as there was just something inside of me. I just had all these things I wanted to to write about. And then I kind of lost it a little bit, um, you know, college, right? And then you're focusing on research papers, not fantasy yes, world. Yes, I know. Like that. I, I'm sure everybody <laughs> knows. College is wonderful, but if you're a really big reader, it's like a dark time where you don't have time to read. You're not yes. reading anything you want. Yeah. You're just, yeah. And, you know, that, that is a very dark outlook to have about college. But so, <laughs> yeah. you're a reader. It is so true. Yeah. No, it, it really, it really is. And, and, and when you're like busting out 20 page research papers on what something, you know, the history of the origins of a word or something, it's like it, it makes you formulate yourself you oh dear you, god what you, was your college degree in <laughs> linguistics <laughs> oh that explains that yeah. <laughs> i mean so, i did love it but you know that's so I had, I had my degrees in health science and one in chemistry so i'm pretty sure you oh, wouldn't want to have had to oh, my I, for I, I, I had to oh i do love science but yeah no so I, I studied shush Anne's and degree was in linguistics oh her, her degree was in Slavic language studies. That's right. That's right. I remember reading that. Sla I was like, Sla that's very specific, girl. <laughs> it, it was very specific. I, I remember reading it and going, calling my grandmother, who was a linguist, and going, what does this mean? <laughs> Why would anyone do this? <laughs> so, so we had classes like that as history majors. We had to take the history of history, which is like looking at the etymology of a word. Only yeah. you're, you're studying not history as it happened, but history as it was interpreted throughout the ages. So it is, very meta. Like it's right up there. It's very meta. I, I made the um, interesting the privilege of, so you started off with a hundred and then they took points off every time you got something wrong. I have the record for the lowest grade for our final paper in the school. Now, obviously you get a redraft. Why am I not surprised? Rough, rough. I got a perfect score on my read, my second draft. So uh, I, I don't mind. That's all that matters. But it was just, they they liked that a freshman was taking a, a junior level class because I had AP classes in high school, so they were just giving me grief. But I got a negative one hundred and ninety eight doc. <laughs> I had to go like in the negative, like past the one hundred to you get know it. What they are, 
That part doesn't surprise me. The fact that you can calculate it does. Oh. Yeah, that's not, I mean, that's that's not wrong. I, I did not do the math. I took Betty Crocker math and I was very happy to get out of that. Like, you know, the math for non-majors. I snuck into the one that they put all the football players in. Those are the math <laughs> classes I took. So yeah, you know, addition, subtraction, fractions. That's all you need. My, my favorite memory from college, we had a MESUP in the class, which is Marine Enlisted Commissioning Education Program, which is basically the former enlisted people they send to college. And we're doing one of those math for idiots classes. And she's telling us how we're going to need this calculating interest and all of that as adults. And he's like, ma'am, I've been on my own for 14 years, paying my bills every month faithfully, and I have never once used this. And there was just clapping all throughout the class. I'm like, that guy was my hero that day. Um, I got in trouble when I asked, uh, when my teacher asked me why I thought trigonometry was important, because I gave the answer my retired colonel uh, grandfather gave me. Which was? So you know where the bombs are going to land. Excellent question. You're an artillery or... officer. What? So, so what did she say to that? And then we'll get back to, to Rosie. I'm uh, sorry. We're, we're just he, having fun. Right? He, he uh, okay. just kind of stared at me and went, uh, and I looked at him and went, are we done now? So I actually had a story that you'll appreciate. When I went through the first uh, deployment, 03, in the lead up to that, we were doing op four. So the opposing force pretending to be the bad guys, they figured reserve and guard, they'd be about as, as competent as the Iraqi National Army, right? It'll be okay. It's a good one for one. And we were doing a defensive action against the uh, the 101st and some of the, the British paratroopers. And uh, they, they had us all in position, like these are the foxholes. And then all the sergeants said, and that was when it was, you know, PFC handling, uh, all the sergeants were like, we're going to go to the bar. We'll be back in a, two hours when the event's supposed to start. And they just left us to dig all the foxholes. Well, the 101st position was, well, war doesn't necessarily start on your timeline. So they attacked early. And I got the brilliant idea I was going to call fire support, but I messed up the trigger, the math to figure that out. So instead of dropping it on them, I dropped it on us. 100% casualty. So, I mean, I guess it was successful, sort of. Uh, yeah. Good thing <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's a good reason I was a grunt. I wasn't even one of those math grunts that did the uh, the mortars. So I, I ended up calling that night when they gave us some time off. I called my high school math teacher and I told her that story. And she started laughing with all the I told you so's. Love it. <laughs> anyway, we're, we're, we're not here to reminisce. So, uh, Doc, get back on track. It's all your fault. Jeez. I love the trigonometry stories. It's great. <laughs> Somebody has to like trigonometry. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, wait, where did we leave off? We <clears throat> Number 10. Number 10. Okay. I was thinking that, but it looked like you reworded the question, you dork brain. So we have a lot of real life experiences that definitely influence us as a writer, but were there any formidable moments that really shaped you? Um, yes. Uh, so... <laughs> Um, when I was younger, I used to write, uh, a lot more happy fantasy driven, more romantic things. And then as you get older and shit happens and life happens and, you know, uh, my, my writing took on a much darker tone. And by the time I got around to finishing Tronic, cause this was an idea I'd, um, been kicking around for a while and I finally got around to that. I had, a I had a lot of, um life experiences that kind of made the book maybe 
darker than uh, a lot of people are used to reading. I have had a couple of comments uh, about the book being pretty dark, uh, like going through a divorce and and starting uh, yeah. life over and things like that. So <laughs> I remember um, uh, the very first draft I sent it into Writer's Digest has like pay some person to read the first hundred pages and give you feedback. And I sent it in to someone and and he he said he said that um well I can't remember exactly the phrasing, but he basically said, I can tell you hate men and <laughs> main character is like caustic. That's the word he said, she's caustic. Um and and that made me kind of like oh well okay maybe I should hold back a little bit and I rewrote her and I, I rewrote scenes and I and I came to grips with some things and it so it's not as extreme as it was but but yeah so life experiences definitely I've been through a divorce I can understand and I can identify with the caustic <laughs> caustic yeah uh, <laughs> yeah there was definitely a time where I would say I was caustic yeah but it, it's it's you know you. You grow from that. You get you. Jr. This is the nice version of me. Yeah, there's a nice version that comes later, <laughs> but you rediscover yourself and love and all that. <laughs> but yeah, no. So definitely, there. Um, I I would say, um, my first marriage and the divorce and uh, moving cross country. Uh, I literally packed up one suitcase and just moved to New York and started life over. So like that definitely had a big impact. Wow how I saw the world and, and, and it impacted my writing as well. So. I mean, I would say anything that makes you move to New York on purpose is traumatic. <laughs> I look, New York city was once great. <laughs> there are some people who truly love it and it is an interesting experience. I cannot be around that much. Not a it's, lot. Too, it's too much people. <laughs> It's too many people. It's not enough green nature. I agree, hundred percent. There need to be more trees. But when you like, want to believe in a dystopian future, that's where you go. Hell, hell yeah! <laughs> but I, I just, I don't know. I, I was really drawn to. I was. I'm from California, so uh, everybody's very laid back and chill, and just like, jive, mama, it's all good. And then I go to New York, and everybody's just like chain smoking and yelling at you and i don't know i was really drawn to that energy at the time and it, it was it was it was good for me to move you know like move literally across the country for a different perspective and different people and just in different time in my life it was good it was and now I'm over it. that would be very <laughs> cleansing in a way like a pellet cleanser mm -hmm. definitely well you know it it it's a good thing because people apparently liked your novel. Uh, the reviews were, were very kind. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, nobody said uh, my main character was a caustic man hating. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I mean, Sometimes we need that. We all go through that phase, man. <laughs> you and, and, that, you know, that phase. You haven't met men yet. Right. <laughs> and the inverse is true. So. I've oh, um I will totally throw a woman under the bus too. Oh yes. <laughs> I, so, I have actually gotten reviews saying um that I am not a feminist 
from a woman. A woman wrote a review saying that uh, I obviously hate women. So I don't know. I guess I just hate humanity in general. Well, that's a stance I can get behind. You can hate women, JR? No, hating people. You said hate oh. humanity. Uh, that's a stance I can get behind. I mean, the army does train us that way. Yep. So, hate and caffeine fuel our lives. We may hate each other, but we hate you more. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Is that on a t-shirt? I need it. <laughs> so, Doc, let's put that on some merch. <laughs> that's Nick's job. <laughs> All right. Next question, Doc. Okay. So a veteran-friendly podcast, as we know, we are. Um, but did you serve in the military? I did not, no. So... But JR was gabbing at me and he told me you definitely had some uh, experiences because it does not, the military does not leave any of us unscarred, but it does not leave anybody who interacts with us either unscarred. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. Um, I, my father was Air Force. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know that I have a lot of um, scarring from that, you know. Well, I mean, sitting in a chair is really not hard. No, no. Yeah. But, and he's an officer, so like <laughs> double sitting. Um, but then my my first husband was a Marine. So I I I have been exposed to the deployments and the base house living and you and know the Crayola markers and the crowns. All all of all of that. And and yeah, and I, I would say that that um has had an impact on on the way on the way you see things just being exposed to those types of people uh it di different people than from you know when you when you grow up there are certain people in your neighborhoods and certain outlooks and then then you meet people who are in the military who have seen things who have been not so great places and you, just hearing their experiences and seeing how that impacts them and their ideology and their lives and everything like that and and you know i think most writers are are listeners they're very for the most part, kind of empathetic and just very, they, they like to absorb other people's life experience stories and that translates into their writing. So yeah, that, that, that definitely, that part of my life impacted me in my writing. Okay. So, so have you had any fan art or transitioning into things from the fan angle? No, no fan art yet. We'll what are you? <laughs> okay, so, but you're also a very new author. Yes, yeah. So what are you the most excited to see on that fan milestone? Is it going to be somebody like running? Uh, you've had, has somebody asked for your signature yet? Mm -mm. Uh, we need to get you out because I'm sure I know where you, we can find people. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a little bit uh, recluse. I, I work from home. So, you know, like I'm not out and about and all that but it was it was a fantasy of mine uh because when i was in new york I, I i published the book last year and i was still living in new york at the time it was a like a, a hope in the back of my mind that i would be riding the subway and then i would just see somebody with the book cracked open just reading it and that and then i could just like just smile to myself not say anything but just smile and be like ah that's my book <laughs> don't worry it, there is still time to make that happen. So if people have listened to this this book or this book, listen to this episode and they're like, man, this, this book sounds great. And they go and buy it. 
uh, and they like it enough they want a signed copy. Is that something you can do? Are you set up to do that yet? Like with a PO box and a. No, I, I am not. I actually don't even know how you'd go about doing that. Um, unless unless I would be selling signed copies from my website. But I think okay. there's like a non-compete with Amazon. So right. not for print. Not for print. Okay. Nope. Print you can take it wide. It's it's that that only applies for Kindle Unlimited and for ebooks. Okay. Oh, so, yeah, so, <laughs> so you can even sell your, your books at Barnes and Nobles if you wanted to. Oh, all right. But so this is the part of the interview where we talk about everything you have written, Rosie. Uh, can you give us the Reader's Digest version of your body of work? And what are you drinking? That looks interesting in the bottle. It is Hershey's Yingling. Oh, wait, I'm spinning it. Cool. Around. Yeah. Okay. So, that's in a Yingling I want to try. It's delicious. <laughs> I would, I would try that too. Person. I know I have a friend who's going to hate me for saying that, but I want that one. I want to try I that. mean, yeah, Yingling okay. is whatever, but this Hershey's. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, yes. that sounds amazing. <laughs> Highly recommend. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to add that to the to the tasting that we'll we'll eventually do. We figure if we ever get big enough where we have a like a fan meetup with the podcast, it will have to be over booze because we talk about it all the time. Enough that some of my friends that listen are like, Do you have a problem? Like, do we need to talk to somebody <laughs> with an intervention? If you had a problem, they were asking if I had a problem. Oh, <laughs> subtlety. Yeah. See, it went right over my head. Yeah. I said, yes, I do have a problem. It's named JR. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So I know you've got um, Tronic that's out because you are new, but haven't you been in a few anthologies and had some short stuff published? Uh, yeah, I just had uh, a short story published in a, a, an anthology, um, Deadly Enhancements. Uh, I wrote a short story called uh, Thank You for Caring. And actually, it is um, in the same world as Tronic. So it is kind of like a prequel. It's, uh, I didn't specify time, but like a couple of hundred years, uh, 100, 150 years before um, the novel takes place. So the, the main character is a, a prisoner building up the wall that encompasses California next within the novel. So a little, little nod. And um, if you read the book and the short story, you'll notice one of the character last names. There's some family uh, connectedness there. That oh, that's I always like fun that. when you I can do that. I love that intertwining when people do it. Yeah, it's nice. It's like a good homage. And as a fan, I go, yay! <laughs> I know that name. Yeah, yeah, I know. I I wanted to create that kind of connection, and and it does tie in with per personality and everything, but. So was there any doubt when you were writing that short story that it was going to be in the same universe? Was that even a consideration that it might not be? Yeah. So when uh, um, Matthew A. Goodwin reached out um, and asked me to do it, I, I was thinking of something completely, well, not completely different. I was thinking of a different direction. And he mentioned, you know, you could, you could make it kind of like um, connected to or nod to your book that people, and then, once he suggested that, I just kind of took all of the random thoughts that were ping-ponging in my brain and just like smushed it into to the to the California next world. And and I think it made it stronger and cooler. So it was a really great suggestion on his part. But yeah, originally, because I wanted to do something just more generic black mirror type story. And mm -hmm. then 
with his suggestion, it, it, it was more focused then. Yeah, he has a way of convincing you to do things you might not have otherwise done. Like yes. somehow I volunteered to host his anthology for him and I don't read or write cyberpunk but we published it <laughs> it's the only anthology i published where i don't have one of my stories but uh yeah so that's that's not surprising uh he said he'd work with me next year and give me uh, an outline that would fit with the cyberpunk uh aesthetic oh, oh so, so you're give doing it a shot. another anthology next year <laughs> yeah he's already convinced us i don't know how that happened uh, <laughs> somehow we were talking mill sf and he goes yeah you're you're doing next year's too right i'm like oh yeah sure wait what <laughs> it's it's part of his charm. Yeah. He has so, a way. He has he has that way about him. I've only ever met one other person who did that. And uh if him and and um Casey Azell ever became friends, the world is just ending because they'd convince all of us to do things. You know, I could arrange that. Yeah, I don't know the humanity's ready for that level of uh of shenanigans just yet. But so obviously that all watch. Yeah, so that those all sound fascinating, but here today we're going to talk about Tronic. So where did you get the premise for this universe? You mentioned that it kicked around in your head for a while, but was it psychedelics, a Ouija board, too many uh, expired, I don't know, whatever people eat in California, tofu and <laughs> avocado? Bad avocado was the, yeah, was the origin of this. No. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, I think I first started thinking of it started with the character first. Um, and, and I, I thought of it when I was about maybe 16 years old and the story has changed quite a bit since I was 16, thankfully. Um, but it, I wanted two years. will do that to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Then I, I just, I had this idea of this, this person, this tough, this tough woman who, you know, it's it's cliche, really. The storyline, like oh, a woman who notices something is wrong and then does something about it, right? Like the corruption in the world. It's nothing unique. But I was just building this character over so many years, and 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 she she kind of stayed true from the sixteen to the shoot. I don't want to say when when I finally published her. Um, Twenty one, because you're drinking a Yingling. Over 21. I'm over 21 uh, by a lot. And uh, but she she pretty much stayed true. And uh, but the the story grew from. The story grew from what it was. It was like, you know, something to do with the water source. And I, I don't remember details, but. It always remained true the, the character always remained true and the theme of you are not in control. Um, and no matter how deep you dig into life, you, you don't know all the answers and you never will. And just this idea of like, um, I'm in control of my destiny. I'm in control of my life and my decisions. Like that kind of hopelessness was always, <laughs> was always a baseline, even from when I was 16, I guess I was <laughs> a little, little dark and emotional back then too but goth and emo i get it year olds are by definition angsty, and if they're not they're hiding something i think that's true i think all, all teenagers have that angst um but that 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 remained true and it's just the the mechanisms and the the world and all of that changed um so i guess i don't really have a direct answer so there's no uh 
no no rotten avocados that started it all off. <laughs> but now you've got the uh, the impetus for another story. Like, oh, it was the rotten avocados. It starts from there as a writing prompt. I gotta I gotta write about avocado. I mean, you know, it's California next. I mean, California is all about avocados. So I don't know how avocados didn't. So they do have some very good wine. Avocado wine. Oh, I would drink that. <laughs> no yes. wine. No. But there's really good. I like wine from Lodi. Best okay. Going out to California is wine. There's good wine in Lodi. All right. Yeah. Wine. I, I was the guy. There's not much else there. When I went to my friend's wedding and they did the wine for the toast, when no one was looking, I poured the wine into the potted plant. Turned out it was plastic. Oops. Uh, and poured my beer in the wine glass. So like I, that's me. Low class and low rent, apparently. Beer guy. <laughs> Hey. So you mentioned in this, you know, we'll get back on track, but this is an interesting sort of segue in the in the space of cyberpunk. You mentioned the strong female character. So do you think the strong female character trope in cyberpunk is any different than it is in any other genre? Is there anything unique about it? Oh, that's a, that is interesting. Um, I feel like um, ultimately the strong female character trope, like. The woman is always, she's basically a man, right? The, the the action scenes and the sex and the and the drugs, you know, like all, all of that is, I say, carries over to most other genres, um, in like spy thrillers and and things like that. But cyberpunk strong female, I think, are even worse. <laughs> I shouldn't be saying this sounds bad. Are even worse. Because <laughs> you're you're in this world that uh, is already more androgynous a little bit, you know, with with tech, um, the the gender lines blur in in my opinion. And when you have a strong female in a cyberpunk world, uh, she's you know a little bit a little bit metal and, and just extra tough. And, you know, and my, my girl, she rides a motorcycle and she's a chain smoker and she beats up people. And I, I don't know. Did I answer the question? I, I feel like I got you, off. You, <laughs> you did, but I will say as far as tropes go, like, and this came up in the other interview, but there's a thing that, you know, biological differences. And so, you know, on average, men are stronger than women, taller. And so when you show the five foot nothing beating the crap out of, you know, seven foot warriors who've trained for 50 or well, maybe not 50, but for long periods of time to do this. And it's like, oh, yeah, well, she started training last week. I'm looking at you, YA. And suddenly she's kicking everyone's butt. Like, you have to give me a reason to hang my willing suspension of disbelief on. And I feel like, you know, places like sci-fi and, and sounds like cyberpunk where you can use tech as a justification or in fantasy, you can, you can throw magic in there. Like if you give me a reason to make it make sense, I'm willing to go there with you. Yeah. So it, it sounds like that's, that's what they're doing. I, yeah. I feel, I feel like cyber cyberpunk. Yeah. They, they have the, the augmented, the tech tech augmentation. Um, my girl does not have that and she gets her ass beaten so she can, she can throw a punch, but she also gets, she gets fucked up lots. So that was my like my attempt to make it more realistic because, uh, like you said, the five foot nothing beating up a, a giant dude. It's just it, even if they were the same size, she probably wouldn't be able to beat him up because, you know, yes, biological differences. Women are 
are not built the same way. And, and I, I didn't, I didn't want it to be cheesy and, and have it go that way where it's like, no, no justification. She just, she's just this badass. But so she does, she does get her ass handed to her several times. Um, but, but she still does have, um, that very male side to her, you know, that, that just itching for a fight kind of attitude and, um, anarchist kind of vibe, right. That I, that I feel is a little tropey. Like, and like I said, I shouldn't be saying this about my book, but. <laughs> I mean, tropes have their, tropes have their reason. They exist because people like that. Right. So like, yeah. that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but all right, well, I've distracted enough. We're gonna pause for a moment while we shamelessly shill for the man, and uh, and this time the man is actually me. But we're gonna play that commercial uh, interlude. Thirty-five awesome stories started by one kick-ass meme. It started as a joke. Storm Area Fifty-One. They said they can't stop all of us. They said, but all laughter has stopped when the U.S. Air Force mobilized and pulled out the big guns. However, relentless mockery and derision by the media and the powers that be pushed the dweebs and alien enthusiasts too far. What else were they supposed to do? They said why not and showed up, determined to find out what secrets were hidden behind the walls of the clandestine government facility. Are you brave enough to buy this anthology today? If you are, find out what the government wants to keep hidden. Read Storming Area 51, a Bayonet Books anthology. Yeah, you right. me you were doing that one. Yeah, but you you got a story in there, so I figured it would be a cool one to do today. I know, but that's so it took me by surprise. That was the point. Although if you had peeped down at the bottom, I did write on the show notes what uh what the episode was gonna I be. Don't but read the show notes, that's something <laughs> you should want me to do. That's very manly of you not reading directions. <laughs> <laughs> I use skew gender roles. Uh, that was just perfect timing. You you set that one up for me after that uh, previous conversation. But thank you for sticking with us, dear listener, dear viewer, for that commercial interlude. And now we're going to take a second and we're going to look at the glorious cover for Tronic. So can you tell us the story of this piece of art? Like, how did this image come together? It is very dark. Um, I can see all the colors, though, so I appreciate it. Yeah, so um, this was a gift from my husband. Um, I when I, I I wrote the I wrote the book and he he read it like fifty times so he was very uh, <laughs> he knew it forwards and backwards and he um, kind of sketched out some ideas and I kind of tossed around some ideas and and I was looking at artists and I just kind of I, I found one guy um, and I was like I really I really love his work and for Valentine's Day. Uh, he he gave me this he's like so i reached out to the artist we really like and um and here we go and it went through a couple iterations but yeah it's that this this was this was a gift from my wonderful husband that's love right there <laughs> it is <laughs> i think he just won the best husband award he he definitely did. and then and then he actually got me a couple more art pieces um by the same guy for you know for world building and but yeah, this this artist is he's incredible. Um, his I can't I'll I'll destroy his name. I'll um, no I, 
<laughs> I, I can't, I can't, I can't say his name. Um, so but if, what? If you remember, uh, and you want to give us the link for his uh, information, if people want to check out his artwork, we can throw that in the show notes. Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll send you some links for him because he, I mean, he's incredibly talented, um, and he did beautiful work. And I love, I love, um, I love how he um, he drew her face, and a lot of people were like, and and. The artist didn't, he interacted with my husband only. He never talked to me, never saw me, never, nothing. And people, people have commented that the character actually looks like me a little bit. So <laughs> it kind of worked out. I was like, oh, hey, a little bit. That works. Um, it reminds me, of, this cover reminds me of my, one of my favorite animes, actually. So I would that. Uh, Bubblegum Crisis 2040. Bubblegum crisis. Okay. The, the character so, looks all, like she doesn't look like it, but she reminds me a lot of press in it, which is was my favorite character in school. Huh. She's awesome. She's like a so, badass musician slash mecha person. Ooh. Yeah. So does that uh motorcycle that's at the uh on the on the cover, does that play a important role in the story or was that just for the aesthetic? Oh no. Um that's definitely in the book. Uh he he was he grabbed like clips from the book, descriptions from the book to give the artist to help him kind of build things out. But what what wasn't in the book originally was the design on her jacket. Um, when he because he the the artist asked um, like what what kind of art do you like for you know I don't I don't remember but I I said I like Doctor Wu and I don't know if you've seen those tattoos the Doctor Wu is very like geometric and and cool and so he actually put that design on the back of her jacket and I loved it so much that yeah if you zoom in a uh, little bit of Doctor Wu action there I loved it so much that I actually wrote it into the book I like I wrote in a description and I I made the the thread actually kind of have like a bioluminescent effect to it. Um, I wrote that into the book and I, I actually used that logo all over, all over the, um, the print copy as well. So that is I, awesome. You know, so we were feeding off of each other's creativity, I guess. <laughs> uh, when it works right, that's, that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. So all right, next one is you doc. I know it is. So what is your 30-second elevator pitch for Tronic? Oh, God. And you guys even warned me this was coming. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition, even when they're warned. So do you want me to uh. summarize the book in 30 seconds, or do you just want me to say it's really like, If somebody said, hey, what's your book about? Should I buy it? What's the answer? If you like cyberpunk and dystopian books, you should definitely buy it. Uh, it is about uh, a woman who's a cog in the machine, who thinks that because she's a cog in the machine, she has, you know, she like, she she has an understanding of things and she slowly realizes she has no understanding that the world is much bigger. All of reality is stripped from from her and she has to see i'm already failing at this elevator pitch <laughs> that's okay 30 seconds is too much pressure um, a, but the, I, but when you go to a con that's about sometimes I all know, you got i know the high concept has always been very hard for me to to summarize it high concept a little bit like if maybe a 60 second one would be 
Fiona Tronic is essentially like an undercover narcotics agent who works for Shadow Corporation. And uh, this homeless dude hands her a, a briefcase full of information of people who have gone missing, including an influencer. And she kind of goes down a rabbit hole of trying to figure out what happened to this missing influencer. And then things just go uh, out of control from there with uh, conspiracies with her employer and the governance and, and all of that until she, she just completely, her world just unravels. How about that? That works. That works. <laughs> or, or you could say she's got 24 kids to feed and that doesn't come cheap. So buy her book so her kids don't starve. Just buy the book, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buy the book. You'll love it. It's, I You'll swear. You'll love it. You'll love it. Yeah. No. So I, I, I always feel kind of, um, <laughs> I was telling you guys this earlier. I always feel dirty when trying to sell a book. Like, you know, if you, if you want to read it, that's great. Go ahead. But, I think if if you like dystopian, like 1984, Brave New World, and if you like Altered Carbon, if you like books like that, you, I think you can get behind this book. Um, it's it, it has I feel like it has a lot going for it, but a lot of it is um, very symbolic, a lot of undertones and themes, with some good violence too. That's always and sex scenes. So you know, it's got <laughs> well, you know, the spice is. Definitely the stuff of life sometimes. <laughs> oh, um, but what is it that makes in cyberpunk this book stand out or this character stand out? Was it make it stand out within the cyberpunk genre? Uh, so that this was this I've been on I've been on two podcasts now where we discuss what is cyberpunk and everybody's answer is different. And a lot of people are like, um, it's deeply rooted in the themes of uh, big tech, big corporations, you know, like the, the little guy against these conglomerates. And then other people say, oh, it's all about tech, tech, tech. Um, and then others are like, it's the aesthetic. It's just, you know, everything's neon and it's always nighttime for some reason. There is no day. And I feel like I, I definitely have nods to you know, the little man against the corporation, but she's working for the corporation too. Like there's a lot of, it's, it's not as, um, it's not as straightforward David Goliath set up. Um, and it, well, and I think that's pretty realistic though. Right. I wanted it to be, I, I didn't want it to be, I don't want to say the word cliche, but I, I didn't want it to be tropey in that way. Um, I wanted everything to be just fucking gray. Everything just super ambiguous, you know, like, is she a good guy? Is she a bad guy? Is the corporation good? Is it bad? Is the government good or bad? You know, and everybody, I believe everybody has facets you know multiple sides to them and i wanted to i wanted to write that i wanted to write a very complicated world complicated system complicated people um and then i do love the aesthetic of cyberpunk so it is that um what very gritty vibe thing there is neon but uh yeah so so the aesthetic i personally really love and that's all over the book and there is a nod to that, the you know, the little guy against the machine. 
I think all of those those make up cyberpunk. Okay. Genre. Yeah. So, so which, go ahead. I was going to ask which tropes you really pulled from for creating this. Well, the, I feel like the, the strong woman is, is one trope that you see a lot in cyberpunk more so than other genres. Um, I do that. And then, uh, you know, the, the neon soaked world is definitely a trope I pull from uh there you know the the, the world does have daylight <laughs> and it also it's also a very green city like everything is covered in in vertical gardens and plants and um it's kind of like a, a green utopia that only in california would make um but it does have <laughs> you know what i mean um but it does have the neon vibe and then uh and then like i mentioned the kind of there is the the shadow corporation element and the government, you know, big evil government element. And she's kind of like, not exactly going against them, but, you know, kind of diving. Is there, them. is there like a clear cut bad guy in the story, though? There is one. There there are two bad guys. Um, but it is more, you know, the whole man versus man, man versus nature, man versus system. This is definitely uh, man, woman versus um, system, man uh, wo versus world. You know, mm -hmm. there are there are antagonists, but ultimately it's it's her against the system against California next. Okay, so. <laughs> Cyberpunk is I think its you own need to genre. Big one. Yeah. Um, so cyberpunk is clearly its own genre, but within that space, are there any subgenres that you feel like this story fits into? I I feel like it's very dystopian. Um, I, I I had several people say it's it's. I had one one review say it's the best dystopian novel he's ever read. Uh. <laughs> But I feel like, yeah, that that I feel like that holds hands with cyberpunk dystopian. You know, when you're talking about um, on the surface, it looks like everything's great, but when you dive deeper and you scratch the surface, you realize that there's that the, the system is broken and and people are darker than you thought and all that. Okay. But there's room for that. So let's talk about the story itself. What can you tell us about your main character? What makes her unique in the crowded field of science fiction and specifically cyberpunk? What makes her unique? Well, um, I, <laughs> I think she's a, a very deep thinker. And I don't know, I, I know other books have have very uh, introspective characters, but I think she just she just goes a lot deeper. And what makes her unique is that even though she can see all the sides to things, she chooses to ignore it. So she's not she's like she's like a willing cog in the machine. She can see that the system is broken and that her bosses are corrupt and she goes along with it. It's throughout the whole book that she slowly becomes aware that, 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 that status quo just isn't good enough and that she should need more and she should want more from herself. I think that's fairly unique because in a lot of, a lot of cyberpunk books, it's, it's very like 
you are bad. I am good. I'm going to fight this. And it's very clear cut. And she's like, I've mentioned before, she's very gray and ambiguous and she's very torn and, and it's, and very introspective. Okay. That's. I think that makes okay. sense. <laughs> I, I could see that. So we, it's a very character focused novel. You mentioned that previously. Yeah. So were there any secondary characters you felt like were especially memorable during your, uh, your trek through this universe? Uh, yeah. Uh, there are other characters. Um, her friend, um, mentor, uh, Callahan, he owns the bookstore and he's like, you know, this old curmudgeon dude that hangs, hangs out in the books. He, you know, he owns the bookstore, um, selling relics that nobody reads. And he, he offers a lot of insight into the world and, and he kind of is her moral compass. Um, a lot of people mentioned that they really love Callahan. And then there's, um, there's, there's Warwick. He is the owner of Xenon Industries. He's a, a weapons manufacturer and he also creates like, um, he, this VR, um, the gaming company. And I feel like, I feel like he, he's very interesting. I think people would be interested. And then her brother, and he's the, he's in the trenches. He's the, uh, the underground drug distributor that she has to reconnect with. And uh, that's part of, of one of her assignments from work. And that, I feel like, um, I feel like he's a great character. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of emotional trauma and, and trying to get over their past together that really drives the story forward. Okay. So if your characters met you in a back alley and they knew who you were, how do you think you'd fare with that? Um, I don't think, I don't think Tronic would be interested in me. <laughs> she just, she just completely ignore you. I think she got her own shit going on. Uh, a very busy woman. I think she'd smoke a cigarette and if we talked at all, you know, she would probably insult me and bounce. There, yeah. you'd, you'd be, as authors go, unscathed for this question. <laughs> I mean, I, I if I told her, like, yo, I created you, all right, be nicer to me. I mean, you know, maybe the conversation would be more interesting. <laughs> but Maybe, but you, you never know with that type. <laughs> so... Okay, that's um, it definitely sounds like a world I wouldn't want to live in, but maybe it'll be fun to visit. But you know, speaking of the story, worlds are in some ways, particularly for speculative fiction, as much a protagonist in a story. So, can you give us a bit of what to expect from this world? Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, the I personally love world building the most, and when reading books. If the world is cool and the story's like whatever, I'm totally in for it. And I was like, eh, I don't care about the story. Let's, you know, everything else is great. And uh, if it's if it's the opposite, if the story is really engaging but the world's kind of lame, I might not finish that book. So I have a bias for world, and um, 
California Next is um, essentially like a, a semi-enclosed ecosystem. So like a, a wall has been built around California, not all of California, the borders are different, but it's been built around it. And it's like San Diego is like half flooded and all of the, the buildings are built up, up tall, you know, and like there's plants everywhere. There are vertical gardens, rooftop gardens, like everything is very green. So it looks like a green utopia. It looks very pretty. Um, and, and I just, I felt like that was, that was really important for me to create a world that on the surface looked awesome. Looked like something, you know, like the, uh, anybody who's into a, a green initiative would be like, yeah, I can drive around my Prius and look at the plants, you know, but when you dig deeper, um, it's it's corrupt it's broken it's you know and and this is where the character lives so she's able to look at everything that's beautiful but she, because she is in the drug world um and and sees things differently and kind of has um more insight into the inner workings of everything you know she has like this perspective of the world that's kind of incongruous you know it's like Okay. So the uh, Tronic, it looks like it's a standalone. So is their story done? Do you see more from these characters or specifically your main character? Uh, yeah, I think there's potential. I'm currently working on different books, but I, I there is potential for other stories. Um, I've, I have been kicking around some stories they would be different characters and their take uh on on the annex and yeah so it wouldn't i don't i don't know that it would be necessarily like um next steps for tronic more as uh insight from other characters within the world that makes sense it does. It does. So, yeah. Um, we know that um, every literary universe has their own internally consistent rules of science, technology, and or magic. Um, so what kind of tech can we expect from these stories? I'm assuming this is not a magic universe. It is not magic, no. Um, so what sort of tech can we expect? There, so there definitely is... It is definitely a futuristic world. Um, but I, uh, unlike a lot of my peers who are cyberpunk authors, don't have a lot of like the cybernetic uh, elements. Um, my main character is, she, she's, <laughs> she does not like technology. She uses like old school earbuds. Um, whereas other people in, in the world, they have, um, implants and then there, there are all ocular inserts as well that people use instead of like phones they'll they'll have an ocular insert that shows them feeds um so there are little nods to technology throughout the world um you know and green green vehicles like running on running on rainbows and stuff but uh <laughs> but she she's somebody who has a gasoline powered motorcycle and uses old school earbuds. And then, oh, I guess I should mention this. Um, there are everybody is outfitted with HCs, um, health chips, and they're embedded in your wrist. And they're they're essentially 
track your vitals. And if you were to get in an accident or something, um, the EMTs would be able to like scan it and have your medical history and everything. But those, which sounds great, but those are also used to um, in, enforce everybody staying within the boundaries of California Next. So nobody can leave. If they do, um, those little chips will, will fry you. So that I think that's the biggest bit of technology. And then also we have our um, enforcers, which are um, androids that work with the police. They're, you know, your typical metal robots. With Do they have three seconds to comply? They're just like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so before, before Doc asks the next question, so you mentioned the motorcycle on the cover. If you had a chance to ride that motorcycle, would you, would you take it for a spin? Oh, hell yeah. Absolutely. All right. What about you, Doc? You getting on the motorcycle? Mm, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about doing dangerous and stupid. So, I mean, maybe. If okay, I can guarantee okay. that I'm going to fall and get injured. So you want, you want plot armor even for the motorcycle. Okay. <laughs> I want plot armor for me on a motorcycle. For me, that's all. <laughs> all right, Doc, ask the next question then. Ruin my fun dreaming of driving on the motorcycle I can't afford. You know what, JR? You can dream about all you want. I'm not going to monitor that. That's between you and your mother. <laughs> uh, that's just low, Doc. Just move it along. Ask the next question. The podcast with the mom jokes. <laughs> Oh, of all the tech in this universe, what is it that you would want to have for daily use? Have for daily use. See, so I... I mean, it isn't, you don't have to use it daily, but what would you be like, <laughs> I'll take this and I'll keep this for me? See, I, I actually, uh, JR, you asked a question in the last podcast about tech, and I was the one person who was like, I don't want anything in me. I don't, I don't want any of this uh, technology because, <laughs> because I see how um, technology can go wrong. But I guess if I had to pick something, this this world, and I wouldn't even, I don't know if it would even qualify as tech, very low tech, but this world is very. Um, very green. There's a lot of vertical gardens and everything. And, and I described the systems and all of that. I, if it's, I wish that technology was not necessarily for personal use, but like all over. Um, like you mentioned in, in New York city, doesn't have, there's not enough greenery for you. And it's like, yeah, I wish, I wish we had, um, I wish we had more of this kind of, uh, rooftop vertical garden, type it is kind of a tech i wish that was all over uh, as far as like anything like <laughs> like inserts or augments i wouldn't have any of that in me i i don't i don't blame you <laughs> i so i totally get that jr has enough stuff in him he probably wouldn't notice if anybody inserted any new tech into him <laughs> probably not bunch of plates and bolts in you uh, just, you know, shrapnel debris, ah, <laughs> but you know, that's the, that's the funny thing with the army. They actually originally, when they, my, uh, chain of command put some of the awards in, they put was never in imminent danger denied as I'm like pulling pieces of the metal sometimes out of my arm. Uh, gotta love the, 
uh, you know, I, I was just casually walking by a bomb, and you know, I was never in any danger, but it exploded. Oh my! Got a accuracy. That's one of the things about red uh, about cyberpunk as a genre that appeals to me. It understands like the bureaucracy of and bloat of government and and corporations in ways I think some other genres just don't seem to get. Absolutely. So I will. Yeah, it's got that going for him. Yeah. So does your universe? It, it's it doesn't sound like it would have you know aliens or fantastical creatures in it, but I'm going to ask anyway. Is that something that's in this in this world? No, no aliens. Um, no, they, there's a cat and a dog in the book. So for all the animal lovers, I have the cat and the dog in there. <laughs> and they're normal. They're not. Uh, the cat actually has been cloned a couple times. but So normally, you know, this is normally we'd ask you specific to the novel, but I'm just curious because you said you like world building. So if you were going to build a world that had aliens or mystical, magical creatures in it, how do you think you'd go about doing that? Would you let your nightmares inspire you? Mother Nature created out of whole cloth, legends and lore. Like, how do you think you'd create those wee beasties? Well, that's an awesome question. I'm actually kicking around an idea about aliens, and I'm doing tons of uh, research into like uh, <laughs> into Egypt, <laughs> actually, and just just um, weird fringe science stories. You know, they might be conspiracy theories and different things like that, and just reading up on all of that and kind of I like to pull from reality. You know, so that if anybody was interested enough to dig deeper into the story, they would find some internet article like, "Oh, wow, maybe maybe there's something to this." You know, just to just to make things more rooted and more possible. Uh, but yeah, so creating creating an alien world definitely lots of lots of research because there's so much out there and uh, there's so much speculation already. Cool, cool conspiracy theories floating around to pull from. I do love me a good conspiracy theory. Right. So while we're we're encouraging you to participate in the podcast, dear listener, when we share this on the face space, um, if you have a favorite conspiracy theory, leave it in the comments and we'll know you actually listened to the episode because I'm curious. And all my conspiracy theories came true. So I've got to come up with some new ones. So if you could help me out, we'd greatly appreciate it. Um, the latest one that we haven't proven, though, is that Doc actually has a soul. So... <laughs> I think I think that one's going to stay in the realm of you know. Uh, I think not my real. brother gave up on that one a long time ago. So you know. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to reach out and see if there's any further proof. If we need I to mean, do more we investigation. Did, did prove the last conspiracy theory, which would be that you had a sex life. So. Ooh, she went there. All right. So clearly the interview is winding down. The Yingling has taken effect, or in Doc's case, the wine. Uh, but before we wrap this up. Was there anything about Tronic that we didn't ask that you wanted to tell us? Oh no. Um No, I I feel like I've talked a lot about it. I just uh No. No, I feel like I feel like I've covered a lot. <laughs> I'm horrible talking about my book. No, no, um, you're fine. You're fine. So is it only available more conventions? You'll get better. <laughs> Is is it only ebook and print, or is there hardcover or uh, audiobook, audiobook for this? Yeah, it's just yeah, no paperback and ebook. Um, I what I'm I'm in the works with an audiobook, but that's going to take forever Ooh. because I'm doing it myself. So it's going to take a long time. So probably not even worth mentioning. <laughs> 
Okay, well, you know, you got to do what you can at the pace you can afford. Audio is not cheap endeavor to get into. Yeah. Um, so before I forget, what age range would this story be? It sounds like there is some um, adult content, shall we say. So if your mother's listening, don't don't read that. Um, <laughs> but but like, what would the age range be for this? You think it's, it's clearly eighteen plus or? Yes, eighteen plus for sure. It's very dark. Okay. Yeah, they're adult adult topics. Also, I just don't think that um, the the YA audience would even be interested in some of the content. It's a, it's more mature, just themes. Um, and unless you've kind of lived a little bit of life, some of it might n not mean much to you. And you're like, well, what's what's this bitch's problem, you know? But <laughs> it's like unless you've been through been through some hardship, you know, you might not you might not quite get it. Okay. Well, that is definitely some of the consideration because I do know we have some families that listen. So okay. this is not one for your kiddos. Uh, before I let you go, dear listener, I need to remind you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. So do your part. And if you wonder why uh, reviews matter, we're going to be organizing um, later this week. We're recording this uh, right before Thanksgiving. We're going to be organizing a panel on that very topic about the importance of reviews. So. Uh, yeah, leave those reviews. They really do help. And um, <laughs> uh, Rosie, how can listeners find you? Um, well, I have a website, rosyrecord.com, and I'm on Amazon and Instagram, uh, at rcrecord. Okay. You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash sf underscore fantasy underscore show. Uh, Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Send all of your hate uh, emails to Seska at blasters and blades podcast.com. She wants you to tell her while everything she said was wrong, why Pern is fantasy and everything nice about me. That's what she wants you to send her. her <laughs> you can join us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. You can join us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tag and tag blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades where you can support the show for as little as uh, 99 cents a month. You can help keep the light on. Or you can do, uh, donate more directly to us on buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast. And I promise I will keep my co-hosts, Doc Seska and Nick Garber, duly intoxicated. They will drink Hershey's chocolate gingling until their mouth rots off from sweetness or something. Yeah, I didn't think that went through as well. Doc, just bring us home. What? That is not the best transition I've ever given you. No, that is the possibly the worst, but that's okay. That just means next week I can only go up. <laughs> so... Thank you for coming and joining and spending your time with us. Go check out her books. They're amazing. Uh, or book that's amazing. I'm looking forward to it. Um, uh, 
what on earth? I looked at the notes you put and they make no sense. So thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. We'll be back next week. Same time, same place, having fun. And of course, picking on JR because he deserves it. Maybe Nick will show up and join in the show. <laughs> He's fun. hiding from you. I know it. Have a nice one. There he is. He claims that he was working on a on a short story or a novel or I don't know. He said he was working on words. I <laughs> I'm sensing air quotes going on off scene. But on that note, we're going to.